So we've got the whole scenario where God has spoken to Joshua and God has told Joshua, my, my servant Moses is dead. And he did what I asked him to do till the certain point. And from now on, you're going to pick it up. From now on, you're going to take it forward. From now on, you're going to complete the task of moving God's people into the promised land. So what is Joshua's task? Joshua's task is to get all people connect, uh, organized, cross the Jordan, take over God's land, get into the land, apply the different divisions to the different people, to the people groups, the, the 12 tribes, and settle them into the land. That's his task. That's his ministry. Are you with me? Is everybody with me? That's what Joshua has to do. That's his goal, his project. Okay. So in order to do that, in order to make that possible, Joshua has to do two things. He has to make sure of two things. Number one, he needs to be bold and he needs to be, come on, he needs to be bold and he needs to be courageous. These are the two things that are required of a leader in order to do this, in order to fulfill God's task. So we're very clear about that. We completed chapter 1, we completed chapter 2, and we saw some amazing things in those two chapters. Today we're in chapter 3, and we're looking at Joshua moving on ahead, getting into the next level of his task, his, his project. So early in the morning, look at verse 1. Early in the morning, Joshua woke up. People are going to keep coming in. You just stay focused on what God's word is to you and what God is going to say to you this morning. Okay? Early in the morning, Joshua arose. It's great for leadership to get there early, to be early, to be prepared, to always be on the ball, to know uh, and spend time with God before they take it to the people. It's always good that. That's a, good, a little bit of a leadership tip over there. There will always be opposition and discouragement. So to be prepared for that, leaders must be out there, must be early. You'll see that as a pattern in scriptures. He set out from Acacia Grove toward the Jordan, he and the nation, and they had lodged there just at the spot from which they're going to cross. Is, are you with me? Can you see it? They're all the nation gathered over there. They're about to cross the Jordan. They have no clue how this is going to happen, but they are gathered. They lodged there three days. Lodged but ready. Lodged but ready. Kind of like what our life should be like. You are settled. You are settled, but you're ready to move. You are settled, but God is taking you somewhere. You are living somewhere, you are in a place, but you are ready at any point to move as God commands. So the moment they give the signal, Joshua says to the priests, he says, we're going to move. So he says in verse 3, when you see, when you see the Ark of the Covenant and the priests that are bearing the Ark of the Covenant, what should they look out for? The Ark of the Covenant and the priests that are bearing there. When you see them, get up and move. All right, that's your cue. Everybody be ready. Everybody move. So when you see the Ark of the Covenant and the priests and the Levites bearing it, you keep your eyes on that Ark. When the Ark moves, you move. When the, when the Ark moves, you move. You know what the Ark was? It was that big box in which you had the Ten Commandments, on which you had the mercy seat, and it represented the rule and presence of God with his people. When you see God move, you move. When you see God move, you move. You can't see God move if you don't have a prayer life. You can't see God move unless you have an intimate walk with him. You can't see God move unless you are spiritually tuned. You can't see God move unless you're spiritually alive to what God is doing in your life. Unless you are active, unless you're alive, unless your word is in you, unless the spirit of God is working through, you will not see him move. You can't get up there. Oh, I didn't know. When did he get up? When did he move? You can't do that. God's never going to get up and leave and gone. He's never going to do that. But when God moves, he says... You move. That's a great parallel in that picture that we see there. And the reason why we confidently make this parallel is because the wandering in the wilderness, the leading of the, of the, the, the Jewish people, that, the, the, the nation of Israel, the leadership of Joshua, the leadership of Moses, the leadership of, uh, of Pharaoh, in fact, all of those different uh, circumstances gives us a parallel to our own walk with God. It gives us a parable, par parallel to the promises of God, to the security of God. That's why we confidently make that parallel. But we don't take everything and superimpose on it. We're not preaching like that. So, in verse 3, when you see the Ark of the Covenant and the priests and the Levites, follow it, follow it. But he says, as a condition, verse 4, he says, keep a space between you and the Ark. Very interesting. Keep a space between you and the Ark. How much space? 1.8 kilometers. 2,000 cubits, 0.8, that's almost a kilometer. That's how far you stay away from the ark. Why? Because, I don't know. I don't know. 
But he gives us two reasons why you should stay away from the ark. Look at these two reasons. 2,000 cubits of measure, make sure it's that far away. Two, there's about 600,000 of you, do not come near it. Do not come near it. Why? Two reasons. Number one, so you might know the way you have to go. Why? Because it's the ark that's leading you. It's the ark that's going before you. And if you're going to keep ahead of the, uh, one kilometer ahead of you, and if you're 600,000 people, then even the last row of the 600,000 people can still have the same vision as the first row. Are you with me? Are you with me? We take everybody with us. Even the first row and the last row can see the Ark of the Covenant because even the last person, even the last littlest one, the weakest one in the group, in the church, in the crowd, in the nation needs to follow God just as hard, just as much, just as passionately. So we see the Ark of the Covenant going ahead. Keep a distance for one reason, definitely, because you are following the Ark. You know, you will know where you have to go. The second reason he gives there in verse 4 is, for you have not passed this way before. You have not passed this way before. The Ark of the Covenant will lead you, and it will lead you, and you need to keep your eye on it, because you're not going in a place who you're familiar with. When you say Satyaniketan, when you say Motibag, when you say uh, South Delhi, you're saying, oh yeah, yeah, I'm familiar with that, I don't need to open GPS for that. But the moment you set out for Noida, immediately open GPS. Why? You haven't been there in that direction before. The moment you go to new chartered territory, you open your GPS. Why? Because you haven't been there before. Now you want guidance. And I'm going to take you places you've never been. I'm going to take you to promised lands you've never been. I'm going to take you in directions you have never seen. So you need to keep your eyes on the ark because it's going to take you places you have never been. When are you more concentrated on the GPS than ever before? When you don't know your way. And you need to do that because your spiritual life is an adventure of where God is taking you. If you're so comfortable that you don't need the guidance of the Spirit of God in your life, then you're probably going around in circles. Because when you're going around in circles, you don't need direction. Verse 4, keep a space. Why? Because you might know where you have to go. And number 2, you have not been through this place. Then verse 5 suddenly takes a detour and verse 6 comes back to instruction. Verse 4 is instruction, verse 6 is instruction. But verse 5 seems to be edged in right in the middle, wedged into those two verses, wondering what the meaning of that verse is. Right in the middle of nowhere, God says, but sanctify yourself for God will do wonders with you tomorrow sanctify yourself for tomorrow God is going to do wonders through you come on God what's going on over here first of all I love that verse it's my favorite verse I just love it sanctify yourself for tomorrow God will do wonders through you okay verse 4 says keep your eyes on the ark as soon as you get the ark you don't have to pick up verse 6 says Joshua says move and they moved verse 5 says sanctify yourself for tomorrow God will do wonders through you. What on is going on? Because along with instruction, you need inspiration. You can know what to do, but you may not have the motivation to do it. And God is going to inject inspiration into his guidance of the, holy, of, of the people of God and his guidance of his, his servant Joshua. And he does the same for you. He will instruct, inspire, instruct, inspire, instruct, inspire. Why? Because when I know what to do, I don't feel like doing it. When I feel like doing it, I don't know what to do. And I need both. I need assurance. I need affirmation. And you'll see the heart and the character of God following his people, saying what he has to say. Why? Why? Listen, I've given you a plan, but don't forget where you're going and why you're going there. Because you're my people and you're set apart for mine. So sanctify yourself. I'm about to give you, send you on a journey. Sanctify yourself. I'm about to do a great thing through you. Sanctify yourself. Before I come down with all my blessing, my favor, and I move among you, sanctify yourself. This morning we're asking the question, how do I get God to move in my life? How do I get God to move in my life? And the answer is, sanctify myself. When I sanctify myself, God goes to work in my life. But what does sanctify mean? What does sanctify mean on a Wednesday morning? Sunday morning, everybody's sanctified. You know, you just feel sanctified right at the end of the service. A little bit of benediction and that puts you in a good mood. Yeah? But what about Tuesday morning? What about Friday nights when you're busted up, when you're tired and you still feel like you only got through half of what this week was supposed to do? What about Saturday when you don't get an off? How does the week 
look like? What do you do with sanctification through the week? What does sanctify yourself even mean? God's purposes prevail. Sanctifying means God's purposes ride high. They prevail. Right on top of your agenda is not everything or anything else. It is the purposes of God. You set your life apart for God's purposes. Even that doesn't sound practical enough. Even that doesn't tell me exactly what I'm supposed to do with my Tuesday morning and my Friday morning. Sanctify yourself for tomorrow. God will do wonders through you. I don't know what sanctify means. I don't know what the wonders are. What does it mean, God? Between verse 4 and verse 6, what does it mean to sanctify yourself? Remember that you are not like everyone else. Remember that you are set apart for purposes other than this world's purposes. What are these world's purposes? Get up, feel good, get to work, make enough money, be assured, set enough savings for tomorrow, take care of business, take care of family, everything that has to do with flesh and friends and, f- and things around you. Make sure that you have a little dream, make sure that you have a little ambition, make, get to the end of your career, have a medal, hold on to that medal till your dying day. That's life on earth. And most people, even believers who claim to be followers of the Lord Jesus Christ are given only to that dream. God has not given us a dream, God has given us a purpose. I'm gonna say it one more time. God has not given us a dream, he has given us a purpose. Because you can have a dream to be an Olympiad, you can have a dream to win the Olympics in 2000, whatever, and you can win that, and then you're like, okay, where do we go from now? Now I need a new dream. And some people set those dreams and accomplish those dreams, good for you, hallelujah, then what do you do? God has not given us a dream, he's given us purposes, and the Bible says God's purposes are eternal. God's purposes are eternal. So always, forever, every part of your life and for eternity, God's purposes will always prevail. What does it mean to be sanctified? It means your life is about the purposes of God. What does it mean to have purposes that drive your life? What does it mean to be sanctified for purposes? I was thinking through this and trying to simplify, 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 because that's what I am, I'm a simple guy. And I thought about my son and he has a little purple cup. And all the cups are inverted, they're upside down in the stack and in the kitchen when they're all cleaned and everything. But he uses that cup so often that he says to himself, I don't want to have to keep putting it for wash because the next time you come, you'll have to take a new cup and then you, your old cup is, your favorite cup is, 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 in the, is in the wash. Are you with me? Is everybody with me? Good looking people walking through, so just stay focused. <laughs> all right? So he takes that cup and he keeps it upside. Not upside down, but upside. And he keeps it that way and he says to the whole family, the whole family is only the two of us. He says, you don't touch it. Don't touch my cup. That's my cup. That's for me. That's sanctified. It's separated. I use that cup. Don't you know that I use that cup? I use that cup. That's for me. Are you getting the picture? You getting the picture? So we are not supposed to touch that cup. We can take all the other cups and throw it into the thing for the wash, but we don't touch that. He keeps it there because he drinks it 16, 17 times. You say that this pen is used only for signatures. You say this room is used only for this purpose. You set apart a car to use only for this purpose. Whenever something is set apart to use only for this purpose, even more important than the purpose is the use. The word use. How do you know you're sanctified? Well, what are you used for? How do you know you're sanctified? Well, what are you used for? What is your mind used for? Whole day, every day, every week, your mind is being used. What's it being used for? Whole day, every day, your muscles are being used. What's it being used for? Your body's been used. Your feet are taking you someplace. What's it being used for? Your heart's being used. Your passion's being exercised. What's it being used for? You want to know how do you sanctify yourself? Simple. Ask yourself, what's using me? Who's using me? What am I being used for? We think of sanctity or sanctification or sanctify as being holy. That's true. It's true. Being holy, being sinless, but you can be so good for nothing. Good for nothing. And even so good, but for nothing, is no good to God either. Because God wants a servant. If God wanted to make you holy, He'd take your breath away, step you into heaven, and you'd be holy. Again, good for nothing. But he's kept you here with your flesh 
and with your temptations and with your surroundings and with your fears and with your circumstances and with all those people, especially that one particular person, you know who I'm talking about? He's kept you here. He's changed nothing. And he's promised to come and take you, but he's kept you here. Sanctification has to do with holiness. Yes, sanctification has to do with purpose. What are you being used for? And he says to God's people, he says, I'm taking you into a land, but don't forget who you are, not where you are. Don't forget who you are. Sanctify yourself for tomorrow. I will do wonders through you. How do I get God to move in my life? I sanctify myself. How do I sanctify myself? I set myself aside for God's purposes. What does that mean? I am willing and available to be used for God. You missed it. You missed it. I'm going to say it again. I'm willing and available to be used for God. Yes, but what is God doing in your life? You work in a school. What is God doing in your school through you? You work in an office, what is God doing in that office through you? <laughs> He's not, he doesn't come to my office. I only, he comes to church and at home sometimes when my wife reminds me about it. But in my office there's no sign of God. There is, God is in your office, God's working in the people around you. God's been doing some amazing things over there. He's, he's providing, he's helping, he's protecting and you have no clue what God is doing in your office. In your workplace, you have no clue. God has blinded you to what he's doing in your office. Why? Because you're not sanctified. You're not set apart. Does it, do I sound negative? Good. Good. Because if God is the boss of the universe, he's also God, boss of your school, of your company, and of your government. Am I correct or am I correct? If he's boss of your government, your school, or your company, or wherever you work, then he's in control of what's going on over there, and he's not sharing with you what he's doing. That's a problem. That's the problem. Why is he not sharing with you? Because he's not convinced that you're committed and separated enough to his cause. He's not committed and separate enough to his cause. Are you with me? What's my dream for you today? My dream, my prayer for you today is that you would understand that God is actively at work and he wants you 100% on his. So he says to the people of, of uh, Israel, he says, sanctify yourself for tomorrow. God will do, I will do wonders among you. How do you get God to move in your life? You set yourself apart for his purposes, set yourself apart for his projects. Set yourself apart for his purposes, set yourself apart for his projects. If you're going to do God's will, you need his purposes and you need his strength. You need his purposes and you need his strength. Listen very carefully. God's not going to change his task to suit you. The project, the plans he has for your life, the purposes he has for your life, he's not going to tweak those purposes, those plans, those projects for your life. He's not going to tweak it to suit you. He's going to tweak you to suit the project. Are you with me? So when you pray, oh God, I can't handle these circumstances. I don't have the strength to handle these circumstances. Please change my circumstances to, and bring it down a notch. Bring the circumstances a notch so I can handle them with my strength. Are you getting this? No, Jeremy, you do those circumstances, you handle those circumstances, I will give you strength. No, no, no. You change the circumstances so I can do it in Jeremy's strength. Jeremy has a bunch of fears. Good Lord, take away these fears. Oh, I'm too scared of this. I don't want to work with this. I'm, I'm too scared. I'm too afraid. Be bold. Be bold. Be courage. No, I'm too afraid. Change the circumstances. Take away these fears so I, I don't want to be bold anymore. I don't want to be brave. I don't want to be brave. But God, instead of you changing your circumstances so you don't have to be strong, changing your fears so you don't have to be bold, wants you to be bold, wants you to be courageous, wants you to be strong. Those are the purposes he has for your life. His purposes are true, his projects are true, and what God is doing, he will do. But for you to be sanctified, to be used in his purposes, in your school, in your college, in your workplace, in your family, in your company, in your government, on your team, for you to be used for his purposes that are overriding to the earthly purposes, you've got to be sanctified. And to be sanctified, you've got to be willing to walk into the fears, be bold. Walk into the circumstances, be strong. Because he will give you the strength. I'm going to say it one more time. God, take away these circumstances. I, I don't have the strength for it. For this relationship, for these long valley experiences, for the sick. I don't have the strength. Take away the circumstances because I want to do life in my own strength. So change the circumstances, dumb it down so I can handle it. That's what we usually pray. 
Come on, let's be honest. What does God want you to pray? Do we have the guts in covenant life to pray the prayer? God, let everything remain the same. Give me strength. Give me boldness. Give me courage. That's when God gets excited. And that's when God goes to work in your life. Because God is not going to work in your life on things you can do yourself. God doesn't help those who help themselves. <laughs> because if you can help yourself, you're not doing his job. You're not doing his work. You're not doing it. I love verse 5. It's one of my life verses apart from John 15, 15 and 16. It's one of my life. Sanctify yourself. Because it gives me two versions of sanctity. It says be holy because I am holy. So I look like you. I think like you. But also be holy and set apart so that I can use you. For if you can't use you, then you've got nothing to present to the Lord when I enter into heaven. At the age of 18, sitting at the bus stop on Benito Juarez Road, opposite Venkateshwara College, at 10.30 in the night, I said to God, when I step over the line from time into eternity, from darkness into light, when I step over the line and I see you, Lord, face to face, I want to have something to offer you. I want to give you something to offer. What can I do with my life that I will give you to offer me? My teachers say I'm a fool and never amount to anything. My loved ones and even my church think I will never amount to anything. Everybody's telling me I'm a failure and I'll never amount to anything. I'm not listening to them, I'm going to listen to you because from, my, from the time I was born, you told me that you have chosen me to bear fruit and fruit that will remain. I can be the dumbest person on earth, but you've used an ass. So I got good competition. Use me. And in that moment, I understood that sanctify yourself. Yes, it's holiness, but it's also don't mess up, don't mess, don't merge, don't, don't get contaminated with the purposes of this world. Keep them there, but keep them base. Keep them lower, keep them subordinate. Keep them subservient to the purposes of God. But you can't be in sync with the purposes of God. You can't be moving in the spirit if you are not alive in the spirit. If you don't have a spiritual life, if you don't have a prayer life, if you're not engaging God in the spirit realm. How do you do that? If you don't know, join a small group. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Everybody with me? Not bad. Within the first 25 minutes, we got everybody here. Verse 6. Joshua, give the priest the go-ahead. Joshua, give the priest the go-ahead. Let's everybody move. Again, he turns to Joshua and he, after instruction, there's inspiration. He says, Joshua, today's a good day. Today's a big day. Joshua said, why, Lord? He didn't actually say that, but... <laughs> so, why, Lord? And he says, today, I will exalt you in the eyes of all Israel. You see that big group of people behind you? They're following you right now because they think you're Moses' successor and they've got high expectations of you. But today, I'm going to establish that. I'm going to establish you as my leader and 2,000 years later, 4,000 years later, they're going to be talking about you. Joshua, I'm going to establish you as my man. Moses was my servant. I'm going to establish you in the eyes of all Israel. And they will know that you are my servant. Listen to me. Honor and promotion come from the Lord. Honor and promotion come from the Lord. Let God establish you. What are you, a political person? Let God establish you in politics. Are you a finance person? Let God establish you in your finances. Don't use gimmicks. Don't use strategies. Don't use human, uh, you know, uh, pol they call it politics, but you know, cheap gimmicks to establish yourself in your workplace, to become successful in this place, in this career that God has given to you, wherever you are. Don't try and make a name for yourself. You never will. You never will. And even if you do, it'll be long forgotten because there are five others standing in line to make a name for themselves. And in order to write your name, you have to scrub out somebody else's name. That's the way this world works. There's only so much space on the nameplate, if you get what I mean. Only one name at a time. So for someone else to take that nameplate, they have to erase yours. But when God establishes you, 6,000 years later, they'll still be talking about you. Joshua, today I will exalt you. 
about worship and exalting God. God is saying to Joshua, today I'm going to exalt you. How's that got to feel? Have you heard that? In the privacy and the quietness of your time with God, when you're face to face like a friend with God and you've drawn the clouds of curtains around you and you're alone with God and say, God, my life is yours. Tell me, what do you want to do with my life? What do you want to, how do you want me to re- react to that situation? How are you going to provide for this situation? How are you going to take me there into this unknown charter to uncharted territory? Lord God, what are your plans? In those moments, has God spoken deep into your soul and says, I will ex- exalt you. I will lift you up. I will give you success. Can anybody give a testimony? Can anybody vouch for the fact that God is a great coach? That God is a encourager? That he's a Barnabas? That he speaks into my soul and he spoke into Joshua says, In the sight of all Israel, Joshua, I will exalt you. Verse 8, you shall stand in the Jordan when you come to the edge of the Jordan. Back to instructions again. Back to instructions again. So Joshua, priests, Levites, all of you, when you get to the edge, are you with me? Everybody's with me? When you get to the edge of the the Jordan, that's a river by the way, it's not a guy. Get the edge of the Jordan, you will step in to the Jordan. When you get to the edge, you step in to the Jordan. What's in the Jordan? It's water. It's a river. (laughs) That's how it works. And when you step into the water, when you step into the water, I will do a miracle. Now these guys have never seen that happen before. So they're like, You've not seen the miracle that God is going to do because he doesn't do the same miracle twice. So you don't know what God is going to do. So you have to do what you're sure you've been told to do. When you get to the edge of the water, you step into the water. <clears throat> you've got to stand in the Jordan before you can cross the Jordan. Are you listening to me? I can you hear this. You've got to stand in the Jordan before you can cross the Jordan. You're going to look stupid standing in the water there. There with the ark, all of them with their frocks. I'm assuming, you know, they had the, they didn't switch into Nike shorts. Everything. And there they're carrying this thing and they step into the water. (laughs) Okay. Anytime now, Lord, go for it. What are we expecting here? Should we turn on? I, th- I think we should turn on. Only 600,000 people watching behind. Wondering what's going to happen. These guys are in the water and their feet are wet. Say it. Their feet were wet. They stood on wet land. Their feet were wet. They were standing in the water. But you can't cross the Jordan until you're in the Jordan. Step into your problem before you ask God to take away your problem. Verse 9. Come here. Hear the words of the Lord your God. And this is where God then goes to corporate assurance. He went to personal assurance to talk to Joshua on the, on the, you know, quietly on the slide. He's telling his servant. But then he tells the whole nation. You see these people, Joshua up in front. You got the Levites. You got the, uh, the, 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 the priests. And they're all standing in the Jordan there. I want to tell you. I want to tell you. Leadership is about doing what God wants you to do. And let God handle your influence. Let God handle your scope. Let God handle the people. You don't have to convince anybody to follow you if you're doing God's will. You go in the direction of God. You be obedient. You take the step. You walk into the water and God will turn to the nation of Israel and say, you follow them today. I'm going to give the land into your hands. Really God? They heard directly from his people. Do you hear me? They heard directly from God. They heard directly from God. Stay far from the ark so that even the last row can see the ark. They heard, they saw directly from God. God never gives his secrets to one servant and keeps the crowd in the dark. That's religion. God wants everyone on par, everyone on the level, having as equal and intimate relationship with God as the leader. The leader just takes the step of faith in the right direction. Then he turns to the nation and affirms them. By this you will know that the living God is among you and that he will without fail. If you've got a Bible, underline that three times. He will without fail drive out from before you the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, the Perizzites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, the Jebusites, the Samsonites. It's not just any random nonsense of people. Whoever you find them, black, yellow, green, short, fly, we will just destroy them. We'll, we'll, don't worry, I'll take care of No, God's not. These are the six people, these are the seven nations. I will drive them out before you. Listen carefully to every word. This day, 
I am assuring you that I will give you success and without fail, I will drive them. He didn't say you will drive them out. God doesn't call you to war. He calls you to faith. And when you go to faith and you step out in faith, God takes of the enemies. God never asks you to take care of the enemies. Demons are my enemies. Yeah, God didn't ask you to go to war with demons. You don't stand a chance. You're a five foot, six foot tall flesh and blood and a mosquito bites you, you go to town. You can't handle a demon. You don't even know what a demon is. Demons are real. Demons are powerful. Demons have influence even over believers who give them a chance. A lot of the sickness, a lot of the brokenness, a lot of the diseases, a lot of the warpness, a lot of the, the are from demons. You don't stand a chance. God says, you pray and I'll fight. Do you get that? Do you get that? Hebrews chapter 1, aren't these spirits messengers, servants of God's people? Aren't these angels ministering spirits of God's people? You pray, I'll go to move. You trust me, you move, you step into the Jordan, I will drive them away. I will make the way for you. I will take care of the enemies. Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. I am the boss. I will decide. When I do it, it's just. When you do it, it's revenge. By this you will know that the living God is among you. God, how do I know your presence is with me? I will make a way for you. I will make a way for you. Verse 11. Behold the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth. Oh, I love that. Behold, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth is crossing over before you into Jordan. Crossing over, hey, good to see you. Crossing over before you. Get the two words. Over, before you. Who's going through the Jordan before he asks you to go through the Jordan? Say it. God is. Who's going through the Jordan before he asks you to go through the Jordan? God is. Who's crossing over the Jordan and has accomplished the miracle and has finished his plan in his head before you could even see the plan? It's God. He never asks you to do anything he will not do himself. He doesn't ask you to go anywhere he will not go himself. He asks you to follow. He asks you to follow. And he says the Ark of the Covenant is going ahead of you. And as you follow the Ark of the Covenant, I will go ahead of you. He says the Lord will go ahead of you. He didn't say the Ark will go. He says the Lord will go ahead of you. And the Lord will drive away the people of the land. You won't have to fight. You just have to be faithful. And sometimes believers forget the way we behave, the way we act, like the circumstances are coming in our direction, the, the cynicism is coming in our direction, the, the skepticism is coming in our direction, the criticism is coming as if it's meant for you. If you were following God and God's going ahead of you, he'll take the heat. You just shut up and follow. You just follow. Your greatest challenge now is, Lord, my feet are wet, my feet are wet. Lord, my feet are wet. That's your greatest challenge right now. Quite honestly, you don't even know that seven nations are going to be driven out and here you're worried that your feet are wet. God never asks you to go somewhere. He will not go ahead of you. If he gets you to it, he'll get you through it. Take 12 men, one from every tribe. So there's representation of faith from every tribe. And as the soles of the feet of the priests shall rest in the waters, the moment they set foot in the waters, the waters will be cut off, O-F-F, -F, cut off. And the waters that come from upstream shall stand up in a heap. Stand up in a heap. Verse 14, and so it was. And so it was. Because nothing can thwart the purposes of God, the work of God, the finance, the, 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 the power of God. And so it was. This is not Bollywood or Hollywood. This is not Mel Gibson making the movie here. If Mel Gibson made the movie or we had our, one of our Hollywood people making the movie, we'd have winds come in and all those sound effects with Dolby surround sound and then you'd have the waters of... And Joshua's like, all oh, his hair and everything going everywhere. And people are like, oh, what a man of God. And all of that. But actually speaking, I'll tell you what really happened. The moment the fellows stepped in, like a sink. You know, sink, washing sink. The water just... Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> and far, far away at a city called Adam, the Adam city, near Zeratan. Far away... 
But you can't see where God solved the problem. Where he changed somebody's mind. How he found the source of this issue in your life. Where he decided to act. He never got to see that drama. He stopped like a dam the rivers and cut off. The Bible says he cut off the flow of the water. And there the water stood up like a heap. Wait guys. God's doing something. And the waters way out of their sight were cut off. These waters went further. There was dry ground. And what you have in verse 17 is the priests who stepped into wet water now standing on dry ground. They stepped into water. Now they're standing on dry ground. The water heaped up at Adam City beside Zaratam. People crossed over opposite Jericho. Where did they need to go? Jericho. Right there. Boom. Right there. They just crossed over. They just crossed over. Verse 17. Priests stood firm on dry. I just sat there and I just little. I don't know. It was Monday or Tuesday when I was meditating on this passage. I just sat there and stared at that. And the priests stood on dry ground. These poor fellows were scared stiff. They didn't. They never. They, they can't swim with that stuff. Then they're carrying the Ark of the Covenant. And they're priests and they're Levites. There's reputation at stake. There's all this and there's Joshua. We don't know this young fellow. He's got all these new ideas, you know. He's young. He doesn't know. He hasn't been around. We've been going in circles for 40 years. What does he know? So they've... But they had faith. And they obeyed and they stepped forward. Those who risk, receive. Those who risk most, receive most. It's the leadership that gets to see and have front row spectatorship to the acts of God, the mighty work of God, the leadership of God, the provision of God, because they are the ones who obey God and take that step. It wasn't the whole nation that stepped into the water. Who did? The priests. So it was the priests who got to stand on dry ground. The nation of Israel only saw dry ground. Who among you are the ones that God is going to call to step out in faith so that the crowds can follow? Did you hear me? Who are the ones among you that God is going to call? Because leadership is not the pastor. Leadership is anybody who's willing to take God at his word so that the others can see that God is true. So, those who risk most, receive most. In conclusion, let me give you three things that I would say we need to act on. What does it take to get God to move in my life? Number one, know his purposes for your life. Know his purposes for your life. What is God's purpose for your life? To be strong, to believe, and to be bold. God's purpose is character and response to him more than the activity itself. He'll handle the activity. Know his purposes. His purpose is strength, boldness, faith. Here's the second thing. Act on what you do know. Act on what you know he wants you to do. If you take the risk, you will receive. Act on what you do know. Have you been told something? Are you clear about something? Do that. Thirdly, let me say, rest in God's guidance for ways you have never been before. Rest in God's guidance for ways you have never been before. For he will make a way in the wilderness. The rivers in a desert. And where God can make rivers in the desert, he can make a desert in the river. If he can make rivers in the desert, he can dry up your river to make it a desert. It just depends what he wants to do. And he will do it. Rest in, the God, in God's guidance for ways you have never been before. His presence will make a straight way for you. The steps of a good man are ordered of the Lord. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and strength. Lean not on your own. In all your ways, say it. And he will make your paths straight.
you, Jesus, for coming down into this world, Father God, for sacrificing yourself on the cross for us, Lord Master. What a privilege to be known in your kingdom. We are heirs, we are royal priesthood, a holy nation, Father, here. Purify us, Lord Master. Sanctify us, Lord, so that we can be used for your glory, Lord. Oh, let the Son of God enfold you and his spirit like his love. Jesus, come and fill us, Lord, right now.
over their minds over their hearts in jesus name break it i beg you break it the spirit of lust the spirit of weakness the spirit of idolatry the spirit of pride the spirit of arrogance and the influences he has over our body he's pathetic he's pathetic he can only touch the body he cannot touch the soul he cannot touch the spirit he can only touch the body and he fills us with infirmities and he breaks us and he's he fills us with sorrow and we are not able to praise we're not able to get along with our lives along we're not able to move forward because of this basic illness there are darkened darkened minds there are some with mental illnesses too embarrassing and too humiliating to tell anybody but here in the presence of god when we come into your presence you heal that's what you do because where god is present there is healing you are jehovah rafa you are the one who resolves sin you solve sin you remove sin and when sin is removed satan's influence is broken satan's influence is broken when sin is forgiven so now that sin is forgiven break his influence and let your people free if they have shackles of memories set them free if they have shackles of fears set them free right now mental illness be gone in jesus name now teach us to sanctify ourselves so that you may do wonders through us i surrender all with every heart every voice honestly all to jesus i the love of God the Father the fellowship of the Holy Spirit rest and abide with each and every one of us through this week and even forevermore amen